you know, what is it going to be like? What are we going to do? I don't want to fall back into old patterns, you know, and, and I think now is the time to really start thinking about what were the parts that, that worked for you that you want to bring forward. I think that's on a personal level. I think it's on, you know, a macro level is how did these things work? And let's be figuring out what we want to bring forward. You're listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, brought to you by University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. In this series, we'll explore a variety of well-being topics with experts from the university community in physical, emotional, nutritional, and financial health. Join us, and together we'll discover how we can thrive at work, home, and beyond. Welcome to another episode of Becoming Wildly Resilient. I'm your host, Jacob Hester, and today I am joined by a dynamic duo, two of our mental health therapists from HR Work Life. Ann Bassoni is a licensed clinical social worker, and she's one of the original therapists with Work Plus Life Connections, which started about 12 years ago at UK. And she's also a board member of the Kentucky Society of Clinical Social Workers. Rhonda Henry is a licensed social worker and a part-time instructor in the College of Social Work. This month's episode is part of our annual Well-Being Week, which is focusing on moving forward with our well-being. We'll be discussing what we've learned over the past year or so, what we hope to see moving forward, and what we can do to help us thrive and create a better world around us. Thank you both for joining me. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. First, tell the listeners a little more about yourselves. Well, uh, my name is Ann Bassoni, and um, I, I love this program that we do, the Work Plus Life Connections program. And my favorite things are like cats and crystals and rocks and um, reading. And um, I'm originally from California, but I've been here a long time. And then I'm Rhonda Henry. I've been with UK about eight or nine years at this point. I started out at the Violence Intervention and Prevention Center um, and then was lucky enough when the program grew to to add a second therapist. I was super excited because I had known Anne as a colleague across campus um, and it just seemed like such a great opportunity to really work with people um, just in a little bit of a different setting. A lot of my background before that had been working in interpersonal violence and um, advocacy, social justice. And so I was looking for something you know a little bit different and to challenge me in a different way. And I, I truly love it clients we get to work with. Yeah, Rhonda, you just mentioned some of your passions as well. So what are some of the areas of mental health and therapy that you each specialize in or enjoy most? Sure. I can jump in first with that one. Um, you know, one great thing about our program is it is it's very general. So we can really meet whatever sort of comes through the door or comes through the computer these days. Um, but some of my personal sort of areas of interest that I really like working on, um, life transitions are a big one. So whether that is, you know, moving into into or out of relationships, um, changing jobs, retiring. I do a lot of work, too, with transgender folks that are maybe dealing with other sexuality or other identity transitions. Um, I really like working on relationship stuff. So even though we don't do couples counseling, I really like talking with folks about identifying and understanding what their needs are in relationships, how to set boundaries, how to move toward a healthier relationship, and then just kind of figuring out life, you know, midlife transitions. I think a lot of us hit different points in our life that we're not sure, you know, are we on the right path? Did we pick the right career or the right partner? Um, And so I really like helping people explore those things. How about you, Anne? I like to, well... 
uh, the things I have done the most is I really like working with uh, children and teens as well as adults. Uh, I That's been the majority of my background before I got to UK, but I have some good knowledge for ADHD and adults. And uh, grief and suicide prevention are two of the things that I, I do a lot of with folks. Also, retirement, you know, like like Rhonda said, we, we have a lot of people that come to see us for retirement. You know, and, and parenting issues, uh, family issues, things like that are things that I've had a lot of experience with and I, I really enjoy. I mean, it's it's nice to see people grow and, and find out things that aren't working for them and see them change those things around. And so a fun question that I did not give you all in advance, since you all work together and this is the first time we've had two guests at the same time, tell us something you appreciate or value about the other person and what they bring to either your group or the university as a whole. Well, with Rhonda, I'll tell you, she is probably one of the most accepting people you will ever meet. She just, she meets you where you are. She uh, allows you to be yourself. She sees the good in you. I mean, even if you shoot her with a Nerf gun, she sees the good in you. (laughs) Because you know what? Good people sometimes accidentally (laughs) shoot other people with Nerf guns, and it just happens. Purely accidental. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll say for Anne, she is so big hearted. She has so much great experience. Um, And talk about meeting you where you're at. She is one of them. But I'll tell you, the thing that I appreciate from her every single day is her humor, because it is hard sometimes to talk about the stuff that we're talking with folks about. And the fact that we can find some humor, that we can give ourselves grace, that she can teach other people how to, to bring, you know, how to see the humor even in a hard situation is just a gift. It's not something you can teach somebody to do. It's just something that is a gift that she has. And it's fantastic. I'll second those things that you all said about each other, for sure. I've obviously gotten to work with you all on some different projects, and um, they definitely ring true. Those are things that I would I would say about you all as well. Um, so go ahead and say something nice about me while we're at it. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. Most organized, <laughs> keeps you going, keeps you in line. I mean, mm-hmm. it's something I'm not good at, and you really help us focus. And patience with people who don't know the things that you already yes. know. <laughs> Trust me, the only reason that I know some of the things that I know is because I've made all those mistakes already. So I try to help other people avoid making those and save them a little bit of time. But I appreciate that as well. I was totally kidding. (laughs) So as I mentioned in the intro, this episode is in conjunction with our annual well-being week. And we're focusing on moving forward with our well-being, both individually and together. So through the week's events and offerings, I've seen this idea approached through a few different lenses, really reflecting on the past, focusing on the now and preparing for what is to come by creating space for possibilities. So I'd like to touch on each of these throughout our conversation, because I feel like these are elements of resilience as well. So to start off, what mental and emotional health trends have you all noticed since March 2020? What are some of the common experiences or challenges that people have had? You know, I think I think the constant call to have to readjust expectations, to have to, to sort of build a new roadmap as the whole world is figuring out some circumstances has just been a real challenge, you know, and many of us. I think can take, you know, if we, if we know something hard is coming up, you know, many of us have went through maybe a college you know program or something. And we know that, you know, we hit a point in a semester and that's hard and I got to buckle down for a month and I've got to, you know, push through, but then I'm going to get some relief at the end of that. This past year has sort of not given us a lot of those opportunities where we can sort of predict, we can have a roadmap 
And so every time we sort of think we're getting a handle on something, okay, we might get thrown another curveball. Um, a lot of fears, you know, sort of tapping into that uncertainty. I think that a lot of folks have felt. And most of us don't feel like we can access our best kind of coping skills when we just don't know how long is something lasting? How bad is something going to be? Um, what's it actually going to look like in my life? And, you know, even having somewhat of an idea of what's coming helps us. And it's, it's just been a real challenge to not be able to lean into that. Well, one thing I do know, have noticed is that uh, while we're all going through this pandemic together, whether you're single, whether you're single with kids, whether you're married, married with kids, have an elder in your home, there's a similarity, but there's also a special set of issues that makes it difficult and also that there are blessings. And it's it's been interesting to see how all these different groups. And, and then within that, you have people who are going to work, showing up every day at the office. And then there are those of us who can work from home and how people react to that. So one thing I think that we have really seen is the flexibility that people have and how we can encounter a situation that we don't know how to deal with. And even being separated, we find a way to deal with it. And, and, you know, one thing I, I will note is that, you know, what we have seen over this past year is people are drinking a little bit more. People who have never experienced mental health issues are experiencing mental health issues. People that have, it's a little bit worse. And um, like Rhonda said, the outlets that a lot of people use, maybe it's going out to dinner with your girlfriends or your boyfriends or uh, taking a yoga class, have not always been available. And while they are available through Zoom. Most of us, you know, when we're done, it's like I'm, I'm Zoomed out. I don't want to. So it's been a different way of, of finding uh, how, how we best can cope. And, but then on the flip side, it's been good because some people have found some things they really like that they thought, you know, well, I was so busy hiking that I didn't know I liked cross stitch, you know, or something like that. So it, it's been a balance, I think, of those blessings and those difficulties. And I, I definitely agree with Rhonda that this has come in waves. We think we're about at this point and then something else happens and then we kind of come crashing down and then we build back up. And I think that that's going to continue for a little while, even when we return. Yeah, when I was writing the question to you, I was thinking about how how like my own personal experience through this and the, the waves that you mentioned, how it's changed so much. Um, and it seems like so long ago that this started, but it also seems like it's gone by so quickly. And I think about like all of the different things that have happened in that time and the amount of like change I've kind of gone through internally and, and how I've thought about it and, and what I've experienced at different points throughout the pandemic, um, or just kind of thinking about the last year and all the other things that went on in addition to the pandemic. I can only imagine how it's gone for other people as well, coming from a place of, of relative privilege compared to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we 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 kept our jobs. Um, you know, I'm a white woman, so there's privilege there. Uh, you know, I have been able to find food. I have shelter. I found toilet paper when I needed toilet paper. <laughs> you know, I mean, all those things that that we we have to take into account because some people have really suffered. You know, one thing that I've heard a lot is. And I've been proud of so many folks that I've come across who have wanted to really keep themselves grounded in that gratitude. I mean, I've heard from so many people, you know, they'll start a session even with like, well, I shouldn't complain. You know, I've got a job or I'm not sick or, you know, I've got somebody that I'm happy and safe with at my home, but I'm still having a hard time. 
And I think that part, I think it's really important for us to give ourselves grace to, to hold both of those at the same time. You know, we can be absolutely grateful. We can look for those bright side moments or those things that are working well. Or, you know, I've heard folks that, you know, love getting to spend more time with their kids or love having the whole family together, you know, under one roof if they are. But they still may be having a hard time with some parts of this, you know, and it doesn't take away our gratitude or it doesn't mean that we don't see or appreciate those things if we also acknowledge that, yeah, but I'm having a hard time with this piece of it. Um, because that way, you know, then we can work with them and try to figure out, OK, how do we meet that need? How do we recapture some support around that if we need it? But I think the fact that we can hold both the gratitude and the reality that some days are a struggle, you know, some stretches of this have been hard. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're mentioning gratitude there. That's like taking sort of a positive view of something that we we might have learned about ourselves or just a positive view and what we can take from what has happened over the last year and some change. So what other responses have you seen to some of these trends? What sort of actions have you seen maybe individually or uh, more sort of structurally, whether that be nationally or within the university? Well, I think one thing we've seen is that we are realizing that uh, you can successfully work remotely. And I think in uh, a university setting, you know, like I think, why don't we let some people stay at home? It would address some of the parking issues. It would address some of the office space issues, you know, or a hybrid of something like that. And I've been really impressed with the supervisors when I have my clients say, you know, my supervisor is so good about this. He's letting me get up early or I can work later. He knows that, you know, at lunchtime or at two, my kids need a snack and I'm not going to be online. And and so I think we've seen some really excellent examples of good supervision, of good working environments that allow for that flexibility again. I, I mean, I think if if nothing else from this pandemic, I think we realize that flexibility Boy, it, it's it's essential to to be able to be successful because the people whose supervisors were like, no, eight to five, you know, seven to four, they really struggled, especially if they were taking care of kids or or their you know their kids were online school. So I think that's been something that uh, people have really appreciated and and that that flexibility of doing things. I'll say I've had multiple clients. I mean, just what Ann's talking about who who had been considering whether they wanted to maybe look for a different job or do something different or the workplace wasn't quite kind of meeting their needs. And they've really felt like this has been a real positive for them. You know, they've just been able to get some of those other needs met where there is more of that work-life balance um, in some of those ways that we try to talk about. So, yeah, I think that has been, I think that's such a good point. Yeah, I think from a health and wellness standpoint, and I'm, I'm sure you all would agree with this, that we've seen that focus and that interest in well-being resources as well. Um, with like departmental requests and utilization of our resources like counseling, like the consults that we do with the exercise specialist or the health coaches or the registered dietitians, um, anyone who who are providing these services. And we've have provided them for a while. And I think we've seen this uptick over the last year. And it's and it's not been necessarily in like one big wave at the beginning. It's been sort of constant throughout. And that's been really encouraging to have it not only come from like a supervisor level or um, even higher than that, but it's also coming from the individual level. So we're seeing it across all these different levels of campus. And for me, that's really encouraging that well-being is becoming a priority on campus, even more so than it was previously, because we know compared to a lot of other places, we were doing a fairly good job. And, and from the top down and the bottom up, um, well-being was a, a bigger priority than it is in some other locations. So I think that's another another thing that we need to acknowledge that 
we've tried to grow through this as well from an HR standpoint or just from a university standpoint. Let me add a piece there, Jacob, too. I think that well, I know we've definitely seen that uptick that you're talking about, you know, in terms of programming and, you know, we've always had some amount of that, you know, in requests and things that we've done, but boy, I feel like that's really bloomed kind of in this last year. And I found it really interesting that I think having so many of us going through similar things at the same time, you know, it's not just, oh, well, we've got one or two people in this department, you know, who are stressed by something or going through a certain thing in life, but, you know, we all have some commonality in this. And and even though there's been a lot of things about, about this past year that have been isolating, you know, there is that sort of common humanity of, you know, we can relate to each other maybe in ways that, that bridge some of those differences in our life or things that are going on. And so it's a little easier when we come into a department to be able to talk about how do we do self-care in this time because we all kind of know what some of those limitations are, even if they show up slightly differently. I, I think it's brought some common language. You know, Ann was referring earlier to the fact that, you know, there's folks who've never really struggled with mental health issues before this. And so, you know, I know I've had some clients who are saying, yeah, this, this is what anxiety feels like. I know what this is. I've got other folks, you know, who maybe their friends or coworkers who are like, yeah, I've never dealt with this in this way. I never knew this is what this was like. And so I think we are able to talk in kind of a common language, um, you know, just because of the, the coincidence of the circumstance sort of that we're facing. And I would add to that too, Rondi, that by doing this um, and, and having more access as much as we get tired of Zoom, it has allowed all of UK, the extension folks, yes. people who normally work from home, but it's allowed everybody access to the services that we offer. You know, I mean, whether it is uh, Jackie's 222 or um, our Midday Mingle or Eric's mindfulness, meditation, and compassion. People who are in the counties can access that. And I, I think that's wonderful. I think there's a lot we can learn from that, you know, just in terms of how we go forward with the best ways to serve, you know, our, our campus community. Like Ian said, look into that campus community is much bigger than just who's in that main campus physical location. Um, I think it really opens up some future opportunities that I think we'll probably talk about in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't see those things going away. Those were really good opportunities for us to grow um, and for us to reach more people. And, and they're not going anywhere from what I can tell. Um, our intention is to keep a lot of these ways that we can reach more people, um, whether it is through Zoom or um, through Teams or, or different programs like that, different apps that we can use to get us and keep us connected with um, all those people around the university. Do you feel like there has been I know you all are big fans of Brene Brown as well. Uh, do you feel like there has been more vulnerability at the workplace as a result of this too? Yes, I, I think vulnerability in that I think some people who maybe didn't feel like they were understood or what their needs were understood, there was some vulnerability of, am I going to keep my job? And then there was also, you know, so there was some vulnerability around work and your ability to do the work and get things done. But then there's also the personal vulnerability of, you know, when you are stuck with uh, maybe you and your partner are used to having your own activities and then coming together, there's a vulnerability in having to spend a whole lot of time together. And so there have been people saying, you know, I don't know if I want to stay with this person. Or they found out, boy, you know, I learned more about my partner in, in a year than I have in 10 so anytime we have to encounter some new connection or new relationship uh, or that flexibility, there is vulnerability. And it, it, it can be scary, but the good thing has been is that we've been forced to do these things. 
and to be made to be vulnerable. So it's like, you know, as Brene says, we went into the arena and we might have fallen, but we also figured out we could get back up and succeed. And I think we know that on the other side of vulnerability comes deeper connection, you know, and, and it's, I mean, in whatever way, you know, that may be somebody you're living with, but that also may be your coworker or supervisor, you know, and, and like Ian said, we were forced to have to do some of those things. None of us likes, you know, sort of being forced out of our own time frame. You know, we all want to have that, that sort of autonomy and, and ability to um, kind of guide our own experiences, but because that's what we were handed, it sort of pushed us into that space. And we've just seen a lot of the positives, I think, on the other side of that. Now, that's not to say that's went well for everybody. You know, some of those things have not went well, or there have been conflicts that are there. But I think, you know, because we didn't have a choice in, in being vulnerable, um, there's always something we can learn from it. You know, whether it went well or whether it didn't, we can learn more about ourselves. We can learn more about what our relationships need to be, what our boundaries need to be. You know, there's there's learning opportunities in all of this. Um, you know, it's it's just, I think, balancing that with other types of self-care. How do we pace ourselves so that we don't get overwhelmed? Yep. And that's a good point, too. How do we learn from the past? How do we take that information and use it without brooding or without getting consumed by it and getting stuck in the past? Because I think that's easy, you know, I mean, I know, just personally, I can go there and, you know, it can be hard to get out of your head. And especially with so many things coming at us, you know, I think through whether that's through media or seeing other people that were friends or, you know, family members that might be struggling. I find it helpful to come back to some of those core questions of what can I control in this situation? What can I learn from this? What can I understand differently about myself from this? Um, you know, even whether that's something that I verbally talk with somebody about or sitting and writing a little bit about that, you know, pulling out, even if you're not a, a traditional journaler, you know, challenge yourself to sit down for a few minutes and just list some stuff. It doesn't have to be big paragraphs or a story. You know, what am I learning from the situation? What have I overcome during this? Because it, it's a lot. I mean, understatement of the day, this past year has been a huge challenge. And I think if we come back to some of those core questions, what can I control? What can I learn from this? How can I use this to move forward? To me, those help me get unstuck, you know, from just brooding in in my head. I kind of hear that bringing yourself into the present and using Mm -hmm. mindfulness. And so I think that's kind of a natural transition into some of the other types of programs that I've seen about latching on to the now as well. And I think that's a way that you can break that cycle of of getting stuck in the past um, and just kind of being in, in tumble mode or something like that where you can't get out of the dryer. Mm-hmm. So what what do you really see that is encouraging right now? Uh, vaccinations are, are encouraging. I think that, and it's a, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, people are ready to get out and go now. But I think that's that's given hope. Like when I got my second vaccination, I called Rhonda and I was crying. I was like, I got my second vaccination. And that made me feel like, okay, there's, there's a little bit of light. I can see a little bit of light down there. And I think that, you know, we are talking more about what's coming up. And that I think has, has offered some hope as well of, you know, I know our supervisors are saying, what are you all going to need? What, what do you want this to look like? So they are asking for our input, too, about how, how's this going to look for you all uh, when you do return to campus and, and how you return to campus. So I think that's been really helpful. Um, I mean, hopeful, actually. And um, I think just that as we see things opening up more and there's a little bit more freedom, 
that's very hopeful for people and it gives us uh, a bit of a renewed enthusiasm. But it's also like that um, couple weeks before graduation, you know, from high school or college <laughs> when you're all excited, but at the same time, you're like, oh, crap, you know, you're, you're a little more irritable. It's like, let's just do this already. So there's a little bit of that going on, too. I might just be speaking for myself. I don't know. <laughs> I also think it's been interesting to see people like as we're coming into spring. And let me just say, um, I don't know that I or anyone has ever wanted spring as much as we have this year. But I think as people are coming into that, even seeing things that they've carried over that worked for them last summer, even if it was hard, you know, it's okay. I'm going to get back in my yard. I'm going to get, you know, now I can take the kids back out to the park. I can go back on my walks more regularly, you know, whatever that is. So even, even kind of reminding folks that like you have learned from this, you know, you have found some things that work for you. And, and I think again, that adaptability, you know, that kind of resilience internally that like, okay, we're, you know, we're hitting another phase. We're hitting another challenge. Okay. What have I learned so far from this? How can I do this differently? And to me, I just, I love seeing people sort of connect those dots, you know, that, that they're kind of seeing, yeah, I got kind of got off track with something that was working for me a little bit, but you know, spring is coming or, you know, when school wraps up or the semester wraps up, this is what I might be able to do. Just seeing, them feel like they've got a few more tools in their toolbox, you know, to be able to take care of themselves. Yeah. For me, that normalization of seeking help is something that it, it doesn't feel like it's waning away now that we're getting into spring, which is sort of that, that time of growth, that time mm -hmm. of renewal. Um, and we see that light at the end of the tunnel a little bit and it's like, oh, we're just going to flip back to the way things were. <laughs> and that's not the hope. I mean, and you were mentioning it about like, what do we want this to look like? And I think that's sort of the idea behind the well-being week and, and saying moving forward with our well-being is to think about how we want it to be, not what it was. Um, and so that's where a lot of these tools and practices and things that we're talking about are coming into play as well. So how does mindfulness or focusing on the present help us move forward? Because that seems sort of counterintuitive a little bit, too. Well, I, I think it if we can be in the be present. We also know then what we need or what we're looking for. And it gives you that opportunity to stop and, and think about or consider what you want the future to look like. And I truly believe that we were so, mo most people were, were moving at a thousand miles per hour. And I think we did a lot of just living by the seat of our pants. And this, this, forcing us to slow down while it's been maddening at times, it also allows you that time to consider different possibilities or different connections and, and things like that. And I had someone this week who was talking about her kids, you know, and sports were opening back up. And she said, you know, I don't know that I want them to play three sports anymore because we've really enjoyed having dinner every night together. Or we really enjoyed not having to rush around after school and I got to see my kids for an hour, basically, before they went to bed. So I think if you can be mindful of, boy, this moment feels good and why does it feel good? And how do I repeat it moving forward is, is how you combine those things. I think one other thing that can sort of be helpful with that mindfulness piece is how it allows us to ground ourselves in what we need right now. You know, I think this past you know year plus, there's been so many moments of overwhelm and of, of planning for the future or thinking even a few days, you know, how are we at one point, how are we going to get groceries? How are we going to get our needs met? And so I think at this point to be able 
to set in what do I need right now? What do I need in the short term? It doesn't make it dependent on, well, I'm sure, you know, for example, vaccines are going to be, you know, widespread. I'm going to be able to go back to the gym at this point or do these things at this point. It lets us just pull back to what do I need right now? You know, maybe that's coming, but what's happening today or this week? What do I need to do to connect with my people to, you know, get my work done, but end work at the end of the workday? And I think we've had so much change in terms of what those needs look like and and overwhelm at trying to meet them that I think trying to narrow our focus a little bit into what's right in front of me, you know, and being present to enjoy it so that we don't get kind of lost down that road. But, you know, I think Anne made just a great point. I'm hearing those same things from folks of, what was happening before wasn't really working, you know, and for some folks, it wasn't until they were forced to slow down that they really started kind of getting that feeling, you know, of, yeah, we were running too much, or I was committing to too many things, or I had taken on too much. And being forced to slow that pace down is is maybe making them kind of reexamine some of that. Something that I've latched onto recently that I've been looking into is emotional agility. And we kind of have tended to think fast in the past. Um, and with that, we're, we're making decisions based upon practices that we had, or we, we're sort of attributing something that's happened previously. And we're like, if this worked for me at this time, I'm going to do this again. And I think when we're not mindful of that, we, we miss out on what the nuanced differences are from that previous time to the current ones, not saying that we can't learn from those things and we should learn from those things, but we also have to have that element of mindfulness of how is this different? Um, there was a quote I recently read about no man enters the the same river twice, um, something along those lines. Um, it's like basically you're, the river has changed um, and so have you. You may go to the same river and enter in the same spot, but that river has continued to flow and you from whenever the last time you entered it to where you are now are different. So neither one of those scenarios, while they look the same um, and there are some similarities and there's some things that you can learn about, Hey, there was a, maybe a small drop off right here that I need to be (laughs) aware of, but that river is different and you are different. And because you've learned from that previous experience as well. Um, And so that space that gets created between the stimulus and the response um, for me, it is emotional agility wrapped up um, in a, a very basic way. And that's something that I've seen the health coaches talk about as well. And I think that force slowing down has allowed us to recognize where that space needs to be. That's a very micro example of moving forward. You need that mindfulness to create that space from that stimulus to whatever that response will be. Um, and that response is the moving forward. The stimulus is the past and that space in between is the mindfulness. Um, and so I think that's that's really powerful and that happens on a micro level and I think it happens kind of on the macro level for us as well. So thinking about what we've learned and where we are now, what do we and I mean collectively we still need to work on or build upon as we move forward? I think one thing that comes to mind for me is, and this is definitely on the micro level, is giving ourselves grace that I love the analogy you just used about the the man entering the river, that just because I've gotten through this in a certain way in the past, I might be able to learn from that, but it may not work for me today. You know, what I need today might be slightly different, even if the circumstance looks the same. And I think, you know, giving ourselves some grace to to sort of be where we're at, I think is an important part um, in this, because 
I see the burden that so many clients that I work with carry and they'll say things to me like, well, I should know better. You know, I know what I need to do and I just can't do it. Or, you know, I'm just being this. And it's this burden that we sort of take on in judging ourselves with that. And on one hand, it's sort of a natural place that lots of folks go to, but it doesn't serve us well. You know, it just kind of keeps it sort of a weight on us that keeps us mired in that space. And I think being able to have some grace for, okay, but what does, what does today look like? You know, what does tomorrow need to look like? Being able to, to have, like you said, that emotional agility to move through. And I think it's just really important because we can't predict, you know, would any of us, you know, a year and a half ago, would any of us have expected this chunk of life to look the way it has? Well, no. And again, we can learn from it. We can try to adjust, but, but what we might need is going to look different and how those needs get satisfied might look different. You know, it may be that we have built up, I use, um, kind of working out and exercise as an example around this, because, you know, if somebody has really had a great workout schedule and they've really built up to a lot of endurance, they were walking their dogs, you know, an hour and a half a day, they've got all this energy they put into it. And then they've had a setback for whatever reason, whether that's the pandemic or something else has happened in their life, they can't reenter that, that, that area of their life where they left off. You know, we can't go and be sedentary for two months and then pick it right back up where we were. And I see so many people put that burden on themselves. And that's just an example. I think we do that same thing emotionally. You know, it's, well, I know how to do this. Yeah, but life has happened for a few months in there or you know, whatever's went on. And how do I pick it back up? You know, and so I think giving ourselves some grace that it might look a little bit different this time around, it might have to ramp up a little bit differently. Um, how effective something is might look different. You know, being able to give ourselves grace, I think, to to make those adjustments and kind of recalibrate as we need to, to me, that opens up that door of possibility that, okay, maybe I don't have to do it that way. I can do it a different way, or I can think about this from a different point of view. And and I, I think, you know, what I always go back to is connections. And I think we've realized during this time the importance of those connections, whether it is saying hello to the employee that cleans your your buildings, you know, like I know I have I've missed talking to Rick, or or seeing different people, and um, and those connections that that give us the life. I mean, that that fire us up, that that help us along. And I think one thing that we did with uh, midday mingle was. We saw all these people come together who didn't know each other, and now they're really good friends. And, you know, there are people who like their quiet time. Like, I'm an introvert, but I don't like this much quiet time. So how am I, how is it going to be different for me? You know, am I going to continue to call the people that I started calling, you know, or texting? Am I, or am I going to go back to just kind of being quiet? So I think that, that we've learned what is important to us and what's not. And, and how are we going to make that work? And, you know, I, I think it also goes back to the time thing. I, I think for, for people um, who commute, they've saved tons of time, you know, the, and, and that allows you to slow down and to add those things that help you feel better or feel centered or gives you that energy. But I, I think that we really have seen the loss of connections. We saw what happened to individuals in nursing home and retirement homes when they couldn't, we saw that that deterioration and we saw people who could not be with their loved ones when they were in the hospital and the, the, the pain of that. And I think all of that, even if it didn't happen to you personally, but you read stories or you heard stories, it brought about some compassion and it also made us realize, boy, connections are important. Maybe I will go and visit Sally at the nursing home a little bit more. Maybe I will call my grandma a bit more. And, and 
I think we could all benefit from that, especially as you put generations together to help one another. I mean, this is something that who knows, maybe uh, I was reading the other day, like, what if you donate a jacket five years down the line and you're cleaning out the pocket and you find a, ma- a mask and you go, oh, remember five years ago? Remember when we were wearing, walking around wearing this mask and we couldn't go see grandma? And are you going to take that and, and move forward with it in a way that is not just the title of your book, but it's just a chapter. It's just a part. And this is going to be the next chapter. Yeah, I think something you mentioned in there that that I really cling to a little bit is talking about what's important to us. And I think that is the challenge to us, both collectively and individually, on identifying what is important to us. What are our values so that we can use those as we move forward? And so that's a practice that we can do now that helps us in the future as well. And we can use that information to drive a lot of the decisions and the things that we want to happen or the things that we want to create. So when I think about the collective or the individual level and what we need to do, that is important to me um, is for us to realize what's important for us. Um, And so that's the challenge to you as a listener is to think about what is important to you and what your values are and make those a part of everyday life. And that's an opportunity that I think we've been granted with the last year and some change. It's interesting that, you know, as Ann was saying that it made me think about the fact that I've heard so many people talk about like what they miss from work is some of that incidental contact, you know, that like you were saying, the the folks that, you know, help keep our offices clean or, you know, when we're walking to the copy or who you're poking your head in and saying hi to. And I don't know if I had, if you rewound and went back and talked to me two years ago, would I have said that those were the, like these really fulfilling little bits of my day? I probably wouldn't. I probably would have just taken them for granted. Well, yeah, I say hi to people or I chat with somebody when I go to the bathroom or whatever. But boy, putting that different lens on it, you know, and when it's when it's rare, when we've had that scarcity of that kind of contact, who it really, I think, makes us sort of recognize how how big that is. You know, I know when I got vaccinated and my mom was and we were able to hug for the first time, like I gave her this big hug. She, I think, texted me three different times within that next 24 hours. Like We hugged. Like we hugged. Now I'm telling you all, my mom would hug me like we hug all the time, you know, but like savoring these moments, you know, really being present. Like when we're talking about mindfulness to me, it's being so present in those moments and just letting that refill us some because we need it. You know, I think we're all hungry for that connection. And I totally agree with what Ann said. Connection is just the heart of so much of this. Yeah. Coming from a family of huggers, that's been something that's been really strange for me. And even my like close friend groups, like you don't really typically think of males as hugging each Mm -hmm. other, but my friend group has always been pretty close about that. And that's usually like a a greeting or a goodbye would be a hug as well. And so that's been a big part of my life between my family and my friends. And to not do that very often over the year, it's like my my wife and I had to like, we almost like <laughs> schedule in time to just hug each other for an extended period of time so that we still get that connection um, in some way. Because we for a while, we're the only two people that we could hug. So we had to take full advantage of that time and sort of shift how we did that. And we still continue to do um, one of those extremely long, like almost uncomfortable hugs. And it's like I I joke with my wife before I get out of bed, she has to come over and give me like a 12 second (laughs) hug or whatever before I'm going to get out of bed. And it may be like 10 minutes before I really need to get going. And it's like 
I'm going to need you to come in here and give me this hug so I can get out of bed and get going. So yeah, that's been a, kind of a funny example of, of that connection piece too. And, and something we've missed, but some way that we've adjusted. And again, it's become sort of an opportunity for us to connect um, within our household too. So to this point, we've basically been building to what we can do to help us transition into the future. So let's start looking forward now um, and the things that we can start to do. So what challenges do you see that still lie ahead? Well, I think that one thing we're going to have to look at is that there are going to be people who are nervous about returning to work for a variety of reasons. And how are we going to work with that? You know, I think as as therapists, we we wonder, you know, what's it going to look like? Do we want to ask people, have you been vaccinated? And if they haven't, what does that mean? And realizing that there are people who, you know, don't agree with how things went and, and um, navigating these, these changes, everybody has done it differently. But I think in, in the work world, we're really going to have to listen to one another and kind of honor some of the things that people have found. I mean, I've seen some teens that were really anxious all the time going to school. And so being home, they've thrived, you know, so do we make them go back to school or how do we work with them in, in kind of some way of balancing it so that they continue to thrive without falling back into being anxious about going to school? And I, I think the other part is that, you know, hopefully we, we realize that this has been difficult and it's going to be a little awkward. And I think we need to talk about, because while everybody's excited, there's a lot of anxiety about coming back to work. I mean, as much as I miss people, there's a part of me being like, I, I really could just stay home mm-hmm. and do this, you know, because I'm a little anxious about what is it going to look like? You know, what is it going to be like? What are we going to do? I don't want to fall back into old patterns, you know, and, and I think now is the time to really start thinking about what were the parts that that worked for you that you want to bring forward? I think that's on a personal level. I think it's on, you know, a macro level is how did these things work? And let's be figuring out what we want to bring forward. Oh, I think Annie had so many good points there. I totally agree. I, I think we've been called on to make so many adjustments, you know, and, and I know just both speaking for myself and from the folks that we've talked to over this last year, like we're tired, like we, we want to know what's a plan, you know, what am I doing? And so part of this is knowing there's going to be more adjustments to come. You know, it's going to be another getting used to a new normal. Lord, if I never hear that phrase again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> you know, how many of us are tired of that? But, you know, I think we have to know that is going to be something that's coming. And so I think it really is figuring out how do I speak up for what I need? You know, if I'm going to be in a space with a coworker and maybe we view what cautious or what being careful or safe, you know, means, and we might look at that a little differently. How do I express that? You know, how do I not let fear or anxiety or overwhelm sort of lead that conversation? How do I get myself grounded, you know, set a boundary or speak up for what I need? Um, how do I have a conversation with my supervisor? If I'm a supervisor, how do I talk to the employees that I'm working with? You know, because it is going to be, talk about some vulnerability. There's going to be some of this here, you know, and I think again, going into it with the thought of, of course, that's going to be something we need to do. You know, it's not a failure. It's not a, our office is a mess because we're going to have to have this conversation. No, of course, we're going to have to have these conversations and we're going to have to figure out what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? You know, what's somebody else worried about? What are you looking forward to? I mean, it doesn't all have to be doom and gloom, but I think the more we can have that, that kind of open dialogue, 
it lets us sort of turn down the anxiety and stress around it a little bit. And it's such a good point. You'll get feedback from folks, you know, have these conversations now in staff meetings when you're still meeting by Zoom or Teams and talk about like, what's that going to look like? You know, what are the things that you're worried about? Because we can all do it. We can take this little nugget of worry and boy, we can just just nurture it, nurture it and let it just grow and become so big. And so how do we deescalate some of that worry before it grows up in that way? Because there are things we've learned. You know, there are things that we've done that have worked well. And I think being able to look forward, being informed by that past part, but being willing to have some of those conversations. And I think I agree is just really important at this point. And I would also add that I think we need to be prepared that there are a lot of people that have been traumatized, especially the frontline workers, nurses, doctors who have been there every single day or the days that they work. And they have seen things that that they, you know, are supposed to be prepared for, but you can never be prepared for. And I think we're going to see people who have some elements of trauma. And, you know, I, I had one nurse who say, well, all of you guys who have been just just been at home. I mean, and there was a little bit of anger, you know, of, of I, I've had to go through all this. I've had to do all this. And, and now everybody's complaining because, oh, they're, you know, they're going to have to commute again. So I think we also need to be aware that there are people who have been working the whole time in the environment that um, we are so scared, that I personally am so scared of. I mean, for our frontline workers, I I can't even say enough about them that they got up every day and they did it. And not just the doctors and the nurses, but also the folks that clean the hospitals, mm-hmm. that, that do the trash, that, um, you know, our cleaning crews. They have been there and I think they've been the forgotten people because we always say frontline workers and I do too. And then it's like, well, you know what? There are other people who have been there every single day. And how do we help them? Because they've seen some traumatic stuff. Well, and our folks that are working with students you know, who are on that side of campus, you know, mm-hmm. who have been trying to manage other people's stress. So even if it wasn't in that medical setting, they're still dealing with, just like you said, I mean, I, I could not, I'm over here like cheering beside Anne because like, yes, there's so many folks that have been out there. Um, and, and I just think we have to honor that. The other thing I'll say is, you know, coming up this year, we're also going to hit a lot of of hard anniversaries for some folks, you know, and whether that's people who have lost people, whether that's people who have realized like, oh, yeah, this time last year, we weren't getting to do graduation or we weren't getting to do something, you know, even as some things are opening and sort of getting better for, for big chunks of folks, you know, kind of remembering whether it's for us individually or for our loved ones. There are some folks going through some hard anniversaries or who are missing some things that that didn't sort of come back the way that they had hoped they would. But, you know, I think being able to have compassion for ourselves, we can integrate that. Again, doesn't mean we have to stay stuck there. But I think having that compassionate response to each other, that, you know, coming back in some way, whatever that looks like, whether it's physically or going to some sort of hybrid schedule, it, it doesn't carry the same um, experience for everybody. Again, I think that's just where that that vulnerability, those conversations, being able to allow some grace and space for that, you know, just can let us stay connected and, and find ways to support each other, you know, and not kind of diminish anybody's experience of what's going on today. Yeah, that connection is is going to be very key for us moving forward. And I think that's again, is a point where mindfulness comes into play for me and being in the moment with the individual that you are with, because everybody you interact with is going to have felt this different. They're going to mm-hmm. have experienced something different than maybe what you have or the previous person that you interacted with or the next person that you interact with. So being present in that moment with that person. And like you've mentioned already, savoring that moment too. And 
naming maybe the awkwardness of being back together. Um, It's something that's going to be powerful for people because if you're feeling it, there's a good chance that somebody else is feeling it as well in some degree or some level. So that that ability to to feel empathy um, and and to really try to put yourself into someone else's experience is going to be helpful so that you can properly express compassion as well when that time comes and when it's needed so that we can actually move forward together and not we're all moving forward on our own without each other because I don't I don't see that as a feasible path for us mm-hmm. as a society or as a campus or in your micro group of of friends even. Yeah, I think those are great points. So I know both of you all are big proponents of self-care as well and that pretty much every episode has some element of self-care weaved into it. So I'm curious how each of you would define self-care in your own words. In my opinion, self-care is any actions we take to balance out the stressors of our life. And that may be that, you know, when I get done with my day, you know, I sit here in front of a computer all day in a high-end chair that I still get tired of sitting in after being in front of the computer all day. And self-indulgence would be me cruising through my kitchen, grabbing that bag of chips, going and parking myself on my couch. And I'll tell you, there are days I've done that, that that's the energy I've had and that's where I've went. But when I'm being attuned to my actual self-care, I step outside and get some fresh air. Even if I can't go for a walk or muster that energy, I throw the ball for the dogs. I get some water to drink. I try to stretch my body because that's what I need to balance out what I've been through that day. You know, I need to have, I know where I carry my stress in my body. I know that I need to move. Um, I know that I need to sometimes connect with people, even if I'm not feeling very chatty, you know? So it's, it's not indulging myself. Again, indulgence has its place. Do not get me wrong. Cause I love some indulgence and I'm all about it. But when we're talking self-care for me, it's, it's got to be more purposeful. It's got to be more, what do I need in the moment? And some days I'll tell you, I get done talking with folks. I love talking to my clients. I think Anne would agree that like, that's some of our favorite time that we have. I love those sessions, but I get to the end of the day and like my tank is feeling empty. And what I want to do sometimes is go sit alone in a room somewhere, have complete quiet. And self-care means I pick up my phone and text a friend I make myself leave the house, even if all I can actually do is stand on my porch. It's how do I find ways to actively balance the things that I've been through in that day and what I need. And to me, I think of self-care much more as a discipline than a luxury. You know, Mm -hmm. again, there's space for luxury. There's space for pampering. Treat yourself, like do it and do those things. But self-care means, yeah, I'm making myself get up and take a shower today. You know, I'm making myself stand outside even when I don't feel like doing any of that. Sorry, I preach on self-care. I, I, like, I can go really hard in on this one. <laughs> I knew you would love the question. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think self-care looks different for every one of us. And it, it might be for some people it is to sit quietly. For other people, self-care means getting together with people. And I, I think so. you got to know yourself. It's really important to know what makes you go, what makes you feel good, and sometimes even what doesn't make you feel good, but is necessary. Early on, Rhonda and I would joke when we would do supervision, and and I'd say, did you wash your hair today? And she goes, yeah, you did too. And it was just like this big moment, you know, And but um, it it is going to be different for everybody. And I think, you know, if you don't know, 
you you need to to be talking about it. But the other part of self-care that I think is really important is that for me, self-care means also helping other people. Mm-hmm. And and um, if I can't do that, if I can't be of service, then I know my self-care is lacking. And, I, and that's been really difficult over this time because the things that I normally would do, the volunteering or things like that have not been available. And I think that while that's important, if you're not caring for yourself, if you aren't finding those things, it is more difficult to be of service to other people, to go out there and, and be a vibrant part of the world. You know, you can use the the air mask from the airplane or the cup half full or full, mm-hmm. anything you want. But, you know, if if it's not in you and you do it, it leads to resentment and anger and things like that. And that is not self-care. But if you are feeling good and you are feeling able and you can help yourself and help other people, to me, that is self-care. And how would you challenge listeners to figure out what is self-care for them or how do they create a plan for themselves? Try it. I, you know, I mean, like Jackie, I, I never got a pedicure. I was like, I don't want people touching my, my, my feet. No way. And she took me and she's like, we're going to get a pedicure. And so I went and got a pedicure and I tell you what, I love a pedicure. <laughs> Even though my, I'm super ticklish, I love it. And I missed it this year. I would not have known that if, if someone hadn't said, come on, let's do that. Because I would have gone with, well, you know, I want to um, do some drawing or make some jewelry or I want to go out in the garden, you know, which are all things that are great for me. But if you don't know, just try it. I mean, you can look up on the Internet, 100 pleasurable activities. See if any of those resonate with you. Maybe you don't want to take a bubble bath. Try it. Maybe you want to take a, a foot bubble bath. You know, just try different things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At least you tried. I agree. I think trying new things, it all fits to me in that growth mindset. It's just so good for us, you know, to get out of the, our bubble a little bit. Um, there's tons of good resources. You know, it, there's a number of different books. Obviously, we're available. You know, if folks are kind of unsure about where to start with that or how to even approach it, you know, because a lot of us didn't grow up with that phrase or that concept of self-care in that way. And so it's hard sometimes to even figure out, like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what what I like, what I want to do. Come talk to somebody like one of us or talk with one of the coaches, you know, depending on what you're kind of wanting to focus in on. Um, taking in some new ideas. But I think a big part of it is just starting, trying something, just what Ann said. You know, a lot of times when I'm working with clients who are feeling really overwhelmed or they aren't sure where to start, I'll really encourage them to, to kind of identify a basic three. You know, what are three things they want to weave in in some way? And that might be, I mean, simple, low-hanging fruit. Um, so I'll give you an example of one. I worked with a teenager and this is what he wanted. He knows I use this example because I loved how basic it was. And he rattled them off in a heartbeat. Um, when I explained what I was looking for, he said, I need to stand outside, even if I don't have any energy to go do anything. So he would stand on his back porch, even if he couldn't do anything else. Um, he needed to eat protein at least once a day because when he was in bad self-care mode, he was eating a lot of junk food. He felt really bad about himself and, and he couldn't commit to eating three square meals a day and no snacks or, you know, whatever. He just, he decided I need to have protein somewhere once a day. That's part of my self-care. Um, and his other was keeping up with medications. He was on a couple of different medications and he would sometimes forget or not take at the right time. And those were the three things he wanted to start with. And those might sound so tiny, you know, he doesn't want to end there. That wasn't the ending point of what it needed to be, but he needed a starting point. 
for him, that was what self-care started as because we built a plan based on where he was really finding this is something that matters to me. It changes how I feel in my day and it's attainable. You know, if, if we sit down with people and we're coming up with some plan of, you know, 20 points and all the things you got to do, it's not going to work. And, and then we end up not meeting the goal. Then that puts us in that really in that vulnerable cycle of that I'm kicking myself. I'm feeling bad about what I didn't do. And I'm really focused on that. So let's make it so that it's actually potentially attainable. You know, we're not talking clean the whole house. We're talking, could you clean during a commercial break? Maybe that's the starting point. Again, it's not the ending point, but how do we get that ball turning a little bit on some goals? And I know I'm verging into goals a little bit beyond just self-care there, but I think having something that we can achieve because I, I know I've needed wins this past year, you know, and some days the wins were, I got up and I put on something, you know, appropriate to be on Zoom and, you know, I put some makeup on or I, you know, ate something decent for lunch. So Thinking of things that feel meaningful, small, and are trying, you know, something new. And then you can build on that, you know, again, using help from places like our office or health and wellness folks. We're here for those reasons. And that's part of what I love working with people on is how do we take it from this big, overwhelming, not sure what to do. Let's get it down to something that feels manageable and can fit on a post-it note. That's often what I'll tell clients. Your self-care plan starts on a post-it note because anything bigger than that is more than what you've got energy for right now. Yeah, those are some great tips for incorporating self-care and the simplicity of it, especially in the beginning. Um, and that there's so much that is aligned with goals and self-care. I'm kind of like mapping it out in my head about mm-hmm. thinking about physical activity. You can apply the same principles to self-care. Yeah. Um, and so if you start small, you get those wins. You're not you're not trying to jump immediately to the end result, mm-hmm. focusing again bring back mindfulness, focusing on the now, what it, what do you need in this moment? And one step forward. You don't have to take four steps forward at a time. Take one step forward, deal with it, and then continue on. And then find those things that you like so that I'm a big list person. You can create a list in the future yes. of here's the things that are good preventative activities for me. Here's my oh crap list. Yep. Like <laughs> Things have, we're, we're getting in this space of an emergency zone. These are the things that I really need to lean back on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can have these lists and then you can go back and reference yeah. that list and continue to refine that list as you learn new things or realize that something may not be doing it for you the way that you had hoped or thought it would. So exactly. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of, a lot of carryover between those. So I appreciate the tips that you all just shared on that. So kind of jumping into our sort of our wrap up questions and more of the fun, fun questions that I get to ask. Um, what's one thing you're excited about as we transition to? What are you looking forward to most? I'm looking forward to going back to the office and being able to scare Rhonda. <laughs> <laughs> because she scares so easy that I can just walk in and go, Rhonda, and she jumps and I love it. And I have missed it. Part of me has missed it too. (laughs) Now it's actually recorded. So you can bring that back up to me later. You said you like this. Um, It was the first thing that came to mind was the connections, like being able to poke my head in Ann's door or to, you know, go across and pick up a copy and say hi to Cindy in person. Truly, that's what I miss. It is. That's the stuff that I want back. Yeah, from a work standpoint, I can definitely agree with those things. If given the the choice to work remotely all the time, I don't think I would choose it because I do miss those small interactions with my coworkers and with the other people that work in our building. Um, and I, I look forward to at least being able to do those a few times a week. 
Um, yes. So that's mm-hmm. definitely something I'm looking forward from a from a work standpoint for sure. So for those interested in learning more, what are one or two books, podcasts, websites, or other self-guided resources um, on maybe self-care or moving forward or anything you just think is useful and could be of value to our listeners? Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not super big on on books and podcasts. I, Rhonda has a lot of those, but um, Anne Lamott is someone I look to a lot for just how to how to live and how to be and um, her outlooks. I think for me, I really like that Brene Brown podcast is good. You know, the unlocking us, I think is really good, but I'll say it's also, it's a lot, like it's a lot of use. They're usually long episodes that can be kind of dense. So, you know, if folks try some of those and it feels like too much, there's also some other ones that are a little shorter, like 15 minute. And, you know, maybe something like that can hold your attention more. Um, There's one called um, the overwhelmed brain and there's one called Hey Girl. Um, And Hey Girl has really short, like 15 minute ones. And I know for me, sometimes I, an hour feels like just too much. I can't sit and think that long or pay attention that long. You know, so play around a little bit with those if you come across them. The other thing I would suggest, and this isn't a specific one, but if folks are having trouble reading, I've heard a lot of that from folks this past year is that they can't focus on reading maybe the way they used to. Try audio or try video, you know, because we do have those other outlets. Is it easier to keep up with something? You know, if you're listening to it or if you're watching it, does that hold your attention a little bit? Um, the other one that I really like is... Kristen Neff, and it's N-E-F-F, um, has some stuff around self-compassion that I really like. She has a TED Talk that I think is good. And it's just, again, a good 15-minute, you know, really kind of coming back to how do we take care of ourselves or how do we give ourselves some grace? And I think no matter what's going on, there's always space for that self-compassion. I, I just think that always is a welcome addition to the party. There's one other outlet called Insight Timer, which is a totally free library of audio meditations. You know, sometimes uh, there's a lot of different apps out there that, that focus on meditation, but a lot of times they have a pay component to them if you want to get past those first few things. And that's one that has just a full library of free audio meditations. So if you're wanting to try it, you don't want to really put money into it, that might be a good place to start and just see if, if you like that. So your fellow therapist, Eric Wilkinson, and I, also created a resilience playlist in our episode a couple episodes back. Um, and we've shared that on Spotify and I'll put that link again in the show notes for this episode, but um, we want to keep that playlist growing. So we've gotten input from some of our guests um, as well as some of the listeners. So what's maybe one song that um, inspires resilience in you that you'd want to add to the playlist? Mm, I have two. My first one is feeling good by Nina Simone. And man, that one, I will turn that up in in my Jeep. I mean, I will crank it um, because it just, and I will sing right along with it. I love it. The other is Times Like These by the Foo Fighters. Mm. And they're my favorite group. And the words to that song, um, times like these, we learn to love again. Times like these, we learn to live again. I think we're in it. Acoustic or electric version. Ooh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I would say acoustic is probably my preference for when I'm feeling a little more melancholy, um, electric when I'm feeling a little more feisty. Yeah, I had to make sure I included the correct one on the playlist yes. because you may have a preference on the acoustic versus the electric version. I would say the acoustic for the playlist. They're both good. What about you, Anne? Um, I would say, um, you know, I always go to my, my, my Grateful Dead, so probably Uncle John's band is is one of my favorite and uh i also like loose lucy just because it just makes you move it, it definitely makes you move i did not know that i had a kindred spirit 
I listen to very little else. <laughs> I actually put a Grateful Dead song on my section of the playlist. So we have learned something new. So finally, wrapping it up, uh, what's one short message or thought that you want to leave with listeners? I guess it's my, my, my sign off with clients right now. I just say keep shining because we all shine a little. I like that. I think for me, it's, it's possible to feel different. If you don't like how you feel, it's possible to feel different and we can help. Those are great. Very concise. They're almost like little mantras. So I love that. Very good short thoughts to leave listeners with. So I appreciate you all so much for both agreeing to come on the show and, and doing this together. It was fun to have two guests at one time as well. So I appreciate your all's time and sharing some of your knowledge. Well, thanks for inviting us. I think these are, are great, mm-hmm. great podcasts. They've been wonderful. I agree. I agree. And thanks for letting us be on together. We enjoy bouncing off each other. So (laughs) we thought we'd bring our show on the road. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Becoming Wildly Resilient. As I've reflected on this episode and how I'd sum up moving forward with our well-being, the ideas of grit and grace reemerged for me. Researcher and best-selling author Angela Duckworth describes grit as passion and perseverance over time. In the context of this conversation, particularly around self-care, I think grit is our willingness to try new things and learn what does and does not work for us. In other words, grit is not sticking with something just because you feel like you have to or it's said to be fulfilling or regenerative. Grace shut up in multiple points in this episode as well. Not only did Rhonda specifically mention it a few times throughout, we also talked about the idea of grace in both individual and collective contexts. Individually, and that self-compassion or giving yourself grace is key to overcoming setbacks to move forward. And to move forward collectively, we talked about the need for empathy, compassion, and leaning into vulnerability. In other words, giving each other grace. So I hope throughout this episode you were able to reflect on what has and has not worked for you in the past. You're able to recognize the importance of being present in the moment to tune into your needs and the needs of those around you and you've identified some strategies or tools you can use to continue moving forward with your well-being. As always, you can find links in the show notes to anything that we mentioned throughout the show, and I'll also include a link to upcoming well-being programming offered by UK HR Health and Wellness and Work Life. Finally, we'd love your feedback, so listen through the outro to hear how you can connect with us, let us know future topics you want to hear, and more. Until next time, take care of yourself and others, and stay well. Thanks for listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, a podcast series from University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. The UK HR Health and Wellness team, consisting of certified health coaches, fitness experts, registered dietitians, and wellness specialists, offer a wide range of online and in-person programming to University of Kentucky employees, retirees, and their spouses. If you enjoyed this episode, You can listen and subscribe to future episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at UKY Wellness. There, you'll find links to episode show notes and more. You can also email healthandwellness at uky.edu with any questions or suggestions for future episode topics. To learn more about well-being benefits offered by University of Kentucky Human Resources, visit www.uky.edu slash hr slash well-being. Live well. <laughs>